The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Last Sunday evening, last Sunday evening, we celebrated new life in Christ at the baptismal. We'll do it again next, uh, or this coming October. It's our next baptism. If you have been baptized since you've come to know Christ as Savior, we invite you to join us. You'll see information on our website, information in the sheet you receive when you walk in on how to participate in that baptism. It's a real celebration. If you weren't with us, you missed a great treat, and we'll do it again uh, in a couple of months. In the area of children's ministry, we still have some needs, and if you'll take a look in the uh, bulletin, it tells you how to respond to those needs. We need about 20 folks or so to help us uh, with kiddos, to teach them at their level. So would you respond accordingly? Maybe it's rocking babies in the nursery or coming alongside teachers who are already there. Also, uh, since we're scattered, we're in the midst of exciting chaos. Some of you are back after being gone all summer. Uh, we have children in our adult building back there. Uh, we have no adults in classes today. I don't believe we're just a few. Uh, we're getting ready to invade Thornton School uh, in a couple of weeks when they give us permission to go there. And uh, then also we've got remodel beginning in this building. You see the construction fence everywhere. So uh, we need some parking lot greeters. We need folks to intercept people in the parking lot. So if you're willing to come about 15 minutes before service, uh, just go to our website. You can contact Martha again. Take a screenshot, if you will, of that and uh, come and serve on Sunday mornings, greeting people, sending them to the right buildings. When they show up, it's difficult uh, to show up and go to the wrong building and have to backtrack, etc. So we want a warm uh, greeting to folks as they come in. Welcome to our colleges. How many of you are college students out there? A bunch of you, I'm assuming. A bunch over here, a bunch over there. And uh, we welcome you back. Some of you, how many of you are freshmen out there? Let me see your hands. There we go. Welcome to you guys. And uh, we pray that you'll have a fruitful school year. So we welcome you. Also, if you're new, not counting our college kids, if you're new to TBC, otherwise, uh, we have a newcomer's brunch we host in our home. And uh, we'd love to have you come and meet some of the pastors, some of the elders there. We mailed out invites, but if you didn't receive one of those, you're new, uh, say in the last six months or so, haven't participated in brunch, if you'll raise your hand, uh, we'll get you an invite. And all we ask is that you RSVP to that. So raise them high, new in the last six months or so. And uh, we ask you RSVP so we know how much food to prepare. It is an adult-only event, but we do provide childcare here at TBC. So new in the last six months, raise them and we'll get them to you. Super. We welcome you. Um, next slide. Uh, school begins this week in some places, next week in other places. So we want to take a little time this morning and pray for you. If you're a teacher, a professor, a coach, a bus driver, a cafeteria worker, a counselor, a board member, a nurse, uh, or a student, or if you're associated with the schools at all, would you stand? We want to pray for you this morning. So uh, all of you out there who participate in some way, we thank you for your service. There we go. There we go. Super. So, so students, go ahead and stay. Keep standing. Keep standing. You're a student. I ask you to stand. So go ahead. There you go. Let me ask that question. How many of you are freshmen? There we go. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So uh, we're going to pray for all of you guys. Many of you are teachers. We got a lot of teachers here at TBC. Got a lot of folks that are personnel in those areas. We want to bless you this morning and pray for the upcoming year. So. 
if somebody's standing around you, in fact, let's get around, let's uh, move, touch the folks next to you, put a hand on their shoulder and uh, move around and touch folks, make sure everybody's touched somewhere, uh, and then we'll pray. Father, we thank you for the advent of a new school year. We thank you, Father, for many who serve, many who study, many who should study, and uh, we pray blessing over them. I pray that this is a year that they grow closer to Jesus, that they will honor him, that the gospel will be lived out in their lives, and they would see our Savior fully in every day in every way. So bless them, Father, as they begin this new year. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So one final thing, if you uh, have your apps on your phones or your devices and your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to start in God's Word this morning. For four weeks, we're going to study the book of Colossians, and uh, then we're going to do a study on ecclesiology, what the church is, and uh, then we're going to look at eternity, a subject near and dear to my heart right now. But before we go there, you know, last Sunday uh, was the day after everything that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia. And to watch the chaos in our nation this last week, I feel like I need to address it somewhat. And if you saw my Facebook post, you can go to my page and you can look at it. Last Sunday, following third service, I was walking out of the building. It was quite late. It was about uh, 1245. And we have four deacons of the day every week. These are men who come and they serve our body. And so when they come and they serve, they come early, help open buildings up, and they stay late to get money out of the offering boxes and to make sure everything's shut down. So about 1245, I'm walking out the back door. Walking up in the other direction are three men. Chief Alonzo Wallace, retired fire chief for the head of the Temple Fire Department, and uh, he's an African-American man. Next to him was David Hattardo. David is a former U.S. Marine from uh, Central America who's Hispanic. Next to him is Brad Bankhead. He's the head soccer coach at UMHB. All three of those men had come early to serve as deacons of the day. And so they served as deacons of the day. They, were, they weren't even going home yet at 1245. I'm walking out. They're walking back into the building. And I stopped them and I said, you know, guys, this is what we're supposed to be about as a church and in our world. An African-American man, a Hispanic man, and a white man serving our Savior together, walking together, honoring him after the weeks that we've had. And so I say to God, be the glory, great things he's done. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we are to be a witness to the watching world. What's happening in our world and our particular culture right now is a mess. And we recognize that as brothers and sisters in Christ or those who see the Imago Dei, that is all men and all women created in the image of Christ, there's no room for racism. There's no room for some of the things we're seeing in our world. And I pray that the church will model that. I thank God for those men, don't you? And to God be the glory, great things. And give my hand. Go ahead and give my hand and thank him. So my prayer, my prayer, TBC is growing in diversity. I'm grateful for that. And my prayer, you saw in the baptism video, we're growing. And I pray that we will be those who walk arm in arm, hand in hand, because of Jesus, our Savior. There's my speech for the day regarding all that stuff. And I just pray that we'll honor Christ because we're in a messed up, jacked up world right now, okay? So Colossians, Paul's going to talk about being messed up and jacked up. He's going to talk about what the root is. So if you've ever struggled spiritually to want to know, uh, why am I stuck in a rut? Why, why is it that I, I want, I've sat through many church services, I've been in Bible studies, I've participated in small groups, I, I've been on retreats, I've been to conferences, but Pastor Gary, I seem stuck. I mean, I really want to go ahead. It seems like maturity has not been something that's been easy for me to achieve. Pastor Gary, I, I, I don't get it. What's happening? Well, the book of Colossians was written to, written to the church that resided in Colossae, which is a city. 
And, and what the book of Colossians says, talks about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about being stuck, we've got to ask the question, why is it? Well, why is it that maybe for some of us, we're not where we need to be, not where we want to be? In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, I believe are the central verses of this entire book. And so in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, we're going to talk about being rooted in Christ. And these verses say this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. The key word here is rooted. We're going to look at this throughout this entire series. You can see from the graphic in front of you that that's, this is going to, you see this for the next four weeks, that we're going to talk about what it means to be rooted in Christ. What does that mean? I mean, when you read those words, what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? I'm convinced being rooted in Christ has everything to do with spiritual change, spiritual growth, and spiritual maturity. That if you want to grow spiritually, you want to mature spiritually, you want to go on spiritually, it has to do with whatever this means. And so being rooted, the word root is an agricultural term, obviously. We're not talking about the roots in your hair that you die, ladies. We're talking about plant life, okay? We're talking about plant life here. And so the word rooted here is an agricultural term that's used by Paul. So I did a study on roots this past week. I decided I need to know what we're talking about or I need to know what we're talking about. So there are two primary purposes for roots in plants and trees. The first primary purpose, which is quite obvious, is to provide nutrients and water from the soil for plants and trees. I mean, the root system, two-thirds of any, any tree, not plants, but tree, is under the ground. So when you look at this graphic, uh, proportionally, two-thirds of a tree's root system are underground, one-third is above. And, and so the roots provide the nutrition and they provide the water necessary to produce the leaves, the growth, the fruit in that particular tree. You water soil, you don't water leaves. You don't go with your hose and say, I think I'm going to water my tree today and begin watering the leaves. You don't say, I'm going to fertilize my tree today and begin to throw fertilizer up on the leaves. You fertilize the soil, you water the ground because it goes down to the roots and that's what provides the nutrition, therefore producing the fruit that needs to be had. Second purpose. Second purpose for trees and plants is to anchor that which is above ground. It's the anchor. And so the roots keep the tree, keep the plant in place. They provide nutrition, they provide water, but they also keep the, 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 the plants or the trees in the ground. <clears throat> they anchor. Now, some do better than others. I mean, you've seen trees that have toppled because of poor root systems. And, and here are a couple examples. Trees with poor root systems that fell into houses. They also fall into cars. <clears throat> so you watch where you park your Mini Cooper when you are near a tree, I guess, or this thing over here. Now, I got a little distracted when I was doing this. So I'm studying roots, and I'm looking at all these trees. And Google is an amazing invention, really. It's amazing what you can find on Google. And, and so I typed in, I typed in weird-looking trees, and uh, these types of things came up. <clears throat> so you see a ballerina over here. And uh, you see uh, some kind of gnome or something over here, and uh, it's amazing the types of things that pop up if you do that. That has nothing to do with roots. I just got sidetracked, sidetracked in my <laughs> Paul knew the Old Testament. And when Paul talks about roots, he's tapping in to the Old Testament. You see, in Jeremiah 17, it says this, Curse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, who's flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. 
So basically what he's saying is, if you are a bush and you live in the desert or wasteland, you look like West Texas bushes. Okay, you go through West Texas, you don't see cypress trees. You go through West Texas, you don't see oak trees, you see bushes. But there's a difference between that and the one that's planted by a river. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be planted like, there will be like a tree planted by the water. What's a tree planted by the water look like? It sends its what? It's roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. When the August heat comes in Texas, a tree planted by a river doesn't say, I got to get up and get out of here. It sends its roots deeper and it can draw water out of that river. Its leaves are always green. It doesn't worry in the year of drought. Its fruit never fails. And so he's saying, do you want to be like a bush in the desert or do you want to be like a tree by the living water? And that's what Jeremiah 17 says, write down your notes, Psalm 1, the gatekeeper of the psalm says the very same thing. Jeremiah is, is, is looking at Psalm 1, it's almost verbatim for what's written in Psalm 1, the gatekeeper of the psalms. And so when Paul talks about being rooted in Christ, he's using an Old Testament analogy, something he as a trained Pharisee would know and understand, something which his audience would know and understand. And what he's saying is, if you want to become spiritually mature, if you want your life to be changed spiritually, you have to have the right root system. You can't depend upon other things. And the problem in Colossae was, they were looking at the wrong root. They were tapping in the wrong way. They had everything they needed in Christ. Christ was sufficient for everything they needed, but they began to add different things to Christ. And Paul's going to talk about four deadly errors that keep us from growing spiritually, and he's going to give us a solution. Deadly error number one, focusing on things other than Christ, it's the deficiency of philosophy. The deficiency of philosophy. Where do you get that, Pastor Gary? I get that from chapter 2, verse 8. You see, what they're doing is they're saying, we want to grow spiritually, but Christ is not enough, so we need Christ plus something else. And here it's philosophy. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it is a singular Greek word, blepo. It means beware. So he says, beware that no one takes you captive. Taking captive is the idea of kidnapping or holding for a ransom. Make sure nobody kidnaps you from spiritual truth by or through philosophy and empty deception. Now, there was a philosophy in Colossae at that time in that region in the first century called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was basically a teaching that anything was fleshly, anything of the body, anything material was wrong. And so he's saying, make sure that you're not taken captive by this philosophy. And he describes what this philosophy is like. These are the characteristics of the Colossian philosophy. First of all, it was enslaving. It holds you captive. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, you have been, it's for freedom you've been set free. Don't become enslaved again to the law of Christ. And so they were enslaved by this empty philosophy. It was a deceptive thing. It was something that deceived them. Look at verse 8. You see the word deception. It was also a traditional thing. It's done by the traditions of men. I'm getting all this right of Colossians 2, 8, according to the traditions of men. It was according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. If you write in your Bibles, underline the words rather than according to Christ. So what Paul's saying is you are seeking spiritual growth, spiritual change, spiritual life apart from Christ. And it doesn't happen. To have healthy fruit, you have to have a healthy root. And he's saying, your root is unhealthy. Your root, you're seeking after something that you can't grow from. You are seeking after this empty, deceptive philosophy of the world. How many of you guys are freshmen? Let me see your hands. I remember when I was a freshman, I went to school that was purple and gold as well. 
Harvard on the bayou. The LSU is where I went to school. And uh, I, I can remember sitting in a freshman philosophy class. The professor's name was Dr. Cornet. And I remember being told when you go there about mid-semester, he, he's going to do a two-lecture series on why Christianity can't be true. And he's going to take two Sundays, to, or two, two, day, two classes, <clears throat> excuse me, to disprove Christianity. And he did. He, he took two classes seeking to disprove Christianity. And he was saying, you need to inv- in, embrace a philosophy. And at that time, existentialism was the philosophy of the day. I would say today, the philosophy of the day is individualism. Individualism. The philosophy of our culture is individualism. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I, me, my, mine. In fact, the first word that a toddler learns or a baby learns is what? Mine. Mine. How many of you parents took your little one aside and said, let me teach you how to be selfish. Let me teach you the word mine. How many of you actually did that? You said, I, I want you to repeat after me. Mine, 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 mine. I mean, none of you did that. But they do it. Except my precious little granddaughter who, no. She, <laughs> she did as well. It's because the sin nature of man is focused upon self. And so what we find here is this empty philosophy of that day and of our day that focuses upon self rather than focusing upon Christ. And the need then was to focus upon Christ. He says they're turning away from these things rather than according to Christ. True spiritual life, true spiritual maturity is going to take place in Christ. The efficiency of philosophy is it's powerless. The word empty means has no power. It has nothing. That's the concept there. If philosophy and not Christ is the root of your life, no spiritual fruit will be produced. He goes on and he attacks a second deficiency, a second era. And he talks about the era of legalism. Look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What is Paul saying here? Well, all these things that he describes here when he talks about uh, the food and drinking and festivals and new moon and Sabbath, those are all Jewish things. And so he's talking about false teachers who are known as Judaizers. A Judaizer was a person who said, you need Christ, but you also need to follow the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. And in that law were dietary things and then events you were to participate in. And so what Paul is saying is, uh, this is not the answer. In fact, you've got to stay away from these, these Judaizers, Judaizers, these legalistic people. Now, obviously, he says, therefore, let no one judge you in regard to your food or drink. There were those who were judge, in the church at Colossae were judging other people based on their diet, based on what they ate and what they drank. Honestly, I can understand that a little bit. I mean, how can someone who doesn't live, love Bluebell love God? I mean, that's a <laughs> question we have to ask ourselves. Some were saying that the Christians of Colossae would only, if they would only return to the Old Testament dietary laws, they could be fulfilled. They could have fullness. If you only did that. Some were saying, you have to have that. Christ had addressed this issue himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. He says food is not the issue. It's not the external stuff. It's the internal things of the heart. 
And he says, food is not the answer to spiritual life, nor events. It's not just keeping these regulations, but, but events are not the answer. It's not diet. It's, it's not events either. Look at verse 16. He, he said, it's not that in respect to festivals. Festivals were held annually. Festivals like Passover, festivals like Pentecost, like the Feast of Booth, other festivals, annual festivals. In respect to the new moon, how often does a new moon occur? Festivals annually, new moons are what? Monthly, once a month, you get a new moon. And he says, you know, don't let them judge you based on annual festivals, annual events. Don't let them judge you based on new moon, which is a a monthly observance, or the Sabbath, which is a weekly observance. He's saying that don't let folks judge you based on the events you attend or the things that you do. That's legalism. Legalism. Now, when I first started walking with Christ, I was a legalist. Really, I I thought you've got to do these things. These are the things you have to do to earn God's approval or his favor. I mean, this is what you do. It's almost like checklist Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like have a quiet time, check, pray, check, share my faith, check, be part of a community, check. Rather than a passionate love affair with Jesus. And early on, I thought I just had to do these things. I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me over the years. And they said, Pastor Gary, the days I have a quiet time, everything goes better. That's called superstition. It's called superstition. God doesn't love you any more if you have a quiet time or any less than you have a quiet time. But because you love God, you want to have that quiet time, right? I, I mean, this is, this is... This is trying to grow spiritually by doing, not by being. If I came to you and said, uh, if I went to my wife, Bev, and said, hey, babe, today I washed your car, today I filled it up with gas, today I mowed the lawn, today I took out the trash, do you love me more? (laughs) Now, some of you ladies are saying, yeah, I'd love him a lot more if you do that once in a while, okay? (laughs) But here's the reality. My bride loves me not because of what I do for her. I do those things because I love her. Our love stems from relationship. It stems from heart. And we do those things because we love someone. So we're in the Word because we love our Savior. We pray because we love our Savior. We're in community because we love our Savior. We worship because we love our Savior. It's not because we have to. It's by the grace of God that we get to. Amen? And so he's saying spiritual growth, spiritual maturity doesn't come from legalism. Legalism is rule-keeping. It's rule-keeping. Satan replaces a love affair with a religious system of do's and don'ts that parch our heart. Religious people love to hide behind religion. They love the rules of religion more than they love Jesus. A lot of people are like the Colossians. They judge people based on where they go, what they, what they see them doing. And the reality of it is it's all about falling in love with Jesus. Religion pacifies, but it never satisfies. So there's the lifelessness. I mean, legalism is lifeless. Philosophy is powerless. And then Paul hits up on a third thing, mysticism. There were those that were worshiping in angels and having all these visions. Look at verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you from the prize. That's an athletic term. It means to be disqualified. Don't be disqualified spiritually by delighting in self-abasement in the worship of angels and taking your stand on visions that you've seen inflated within the cause of your own fleshly mind. He's saying uh, the reality of it is you have these visions, you worship these angels, you're involved in mysticism, mysticism. But Jesus is not part of it. Isn't that part of it? We live in a society that loves this stuff. I googled up uh, ways to grow spiritually. Quite interesting. I, I looked at the 10 first websites that popped up on Google, how to grow spiritually. 
this is 10 ways to increase your spirituality. Take care of yourself physically. Educate yourself. Uh, find a community. Uh, be kind to yourself. Get outside. Commune with nature. Not one mention of Jesus one time. In fact, the top 10 websites I looked at, Jesus was not mentioned one time, ever. Not once. Here's the other one. You should meditate. Meditate. There are like 12 different kinds of meditation. The first one they list is mindless meditation. Now that's interesting. You want to grow spiritually? You have mindless meditation. Basically, you empty your head and fill it with nothing and you become spiritual. Try that one on for size. Uh, here's another one, sweat lodges. How many of you have been a part of sweat? We've got a sweat lodge in Texas. You know what it is? Outside. <laughs> Just walk outside. It's not going to make you spiritual to walk outside and sweat. It'll make you want to walk inside and find air conditioning. I mean, I don't know who wrote this junk, but I mean, it's like, really? Come on. And then there's dancing, quaking, and shaking. Do so you want to go spiritual? You start dancing, quaking, and shaking. When I was in high school, I thought I was a great dancer. I quit drinking, I quit dancing. <laughs> quaking. Quaking. I, I didn't know this. The Quakers, you know, that religious group, they got their name from quaking. Uh, in their services, they quake. I, I don't know how you do that. The only Quaker I know is the guy on the box of oatmeal. But, uh, <laughs> and, and then the Shakers, this is interesting. The Shakers split from the Quakers because they believed in shaking and not quaking. Um, the final thing, spontaneous enlightenment. I, I like this one the best. It says, if, if you don't like any of these natural ways to achieve spiritual awakening, spiritual enlightenment has been known to spontaneously occur. You can become spiritually spontaneously. I spoke to someone who attained spiritual enlightenment in a dentist chair once. He wasn't even seeking it. It changed his life. You let some dude do a root canal on you, you could have a spiritual encounter too, probably, right there at that time. I mean, it's like, who makes up this stuff? That's under how to grow spiritually. How to grow spiritually. And Paul says, you know what, if you're depending on mystical stuff like that, mystical stuff is about meism. It's about you having visions and saying, this is what God told me to do. And then finally, Paul talks about asceticism. Asceticism is self-denial. It's denying self. And there are a lot of people that think spirituality can take place through asceticism. And by the way, we, we diminish who Christ is when we do this. We, not, we look at verse 19, we're not holding fast to the head. That's Jesus from whom the whole body is supplied and held together. He is the root. He supplies everything that there is. Asceticism is self-denial as a means to earn favor with God. Jesus does require us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow after him. But that's an act of obedience. There are folks seeking to earn God's favor through self-denial, through asceticism. It's happened for centuries, for centuries in church history. For instance, what we read in church history, um, there was an Egyptian guy named Anthony. Anthony was disturbed by what he thought was the materialistic society he lived in. This was in 256 AD, so this is the third century. So he sold all his possessions. He was a single man. He fled to the wilderness. He ate only once a day, and for that meal, he only had bread, salt, and water. For over 40 years, he lived in the desert. He never changed his clothes and never washed his face. He lived to be 105 years old. So you want to know how to live old? Don't change your clothes. Don't wash your face. Live on bread, salt, and water. And I guess you'll do it. I, I imagine folks smelled him before they ever saw him. <laughs> then there were the Ecratites. 
They're an early group in the second century. They rejected marriage as a form of adultery. So they thought if you got married, that was a form of adultery, pleasing the flesh. So they condemned that. They condemned the eating of meat. They condemned drinking of wine. They also practiced self-castration, something they occasionally celebrated corporately by parading through the streets and holding aloft the proof of their self-sacrifice. Really? Really? I mean, they thought they were getting closer to God that way. And we've done that over and over. There's a lady named Catherine of Genoa, and uh, she was a nurse. She felt like she was not experiencing the sufferings of Christ and identifying with the hurting the way they should. So as a nurse, she was working with lepers. She began to drain the pus from the lepers and drink it so that she could mature spiritually. Who wants to go out and have lunch now, right? (laughs) All that in the name of spirituality. Here's the problem. Asceticism is aimless. Mysticism is meism. Legalism is lifeless. Philosophy is powerless. But we have a Savior who is all-sufficient. All those things are empty. In fact, Paul uses the word empty three times in this passage. It's empty, it's empty, it's empty. But twice, while talking about Christ, he says it's full. Philosophy is empty. Mysticism is empty. Legalism is empty. Asceticism is is empty. But look at chapter 1, verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Christ fills up that cup. In chapter 2, look at verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Philosophy empty. Legalism empty. Mysticism empty. Asceticism empty. Jesus, all sufficient and full. And so Paul concludes, and this is really the bulk of his letter to the Colossians. He says, I want you to know that you should focus on the all sufficient Christ. That Christ is the one who brings about spiritual change. He is the root. He is the one we set ourselves in. He is the one who is sufficient for salvation. If you look at verses 13 and 14, when you were dead, your transgressions and uncircumcision of flesh, he, Jesus, made you alive. And he is sufficient for your spiritual growth. Backtrack to verses 6 and 7. As you have received Christ Jesus, walk in him. Conduct your life that way. Be firmly rooted in him. Being built up in him as you were instructed established in your faith, overflowing with gratitude. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn. He is the one who holds all the created world together. For by him, this is chapter 1, verse 16, all things were created in heavens on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things. So why, if Christ is all-sufficient and all-powerful, would we depend upon anything else or go anywhere else? to grow spiritually. Some of you are stuck in a rut spiritually. Haven't moved forward in a long time. You've done a lot of things, but you just haven't grown. Maybe it's because it's been Christ plus, or maybe your focus has been elsewhere. Or some of you, you're taking baby steps. You're saying, Pastor Gary, I want to walk and sprint. Maybe because you haven't trusted the all-sufficient Christ. You've been merging other things together with him. And Paul is writing church at Colossae. And he says, these things are deficient. But Christ is sufficient to change you and empower you forever. The root matters. A good root produces good fruit. 
A dying root doesn't produce fruit at all. And so being rooted in the all-sufficient Christ produces the fruit of spiritual growth. I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to call it How to Grow a Crummy Lawn. And you're going to pick that book up, and it's going to have 40 pages in it. And every one of them is going to be blank. Because that's how you grow a crummy lawn. You don't do anything. You don't water it. You don't fertilize it. And what happens is you get some kind of weeds with long Latin names that I can't even pronounce, and they're going to take the place of your St. Augustine, your Bermuda, and everything else you have in your lawn. Because if you don't tend to that lawn, it grows. If you neglect it, it dies. It doesn't grow. The root of Jesus, he's sufficient. Our dependence needs to be upon him. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us an all-sufficient Savior who's full. You've placed all fullness of deity in him, all the fullness that we need for spiritual growth in him. And yet we confess that oftentimes we seek to merge things or trust in things other than him, ourselves, some philosophy of the world, maybe some mystical experience, maybe some self-denial, maybe some legalistic rules. And we confess to you this day that our faith is in Christ and Christ alone and spiritual hope and spiritual growth is in him and him alone. So Lord Jesus, we sit before you this morning and we ask you to do the work that only you could do through the spirit who resides in us. So if you need change this morning, why don't you confess that and talk to him. If you're not sure if you know Christ as Savior, he awaits you right now. You can trust him as Savior. You can embrace him now. And if you're growing, would you thank him? Would you pray that you water and nourish that root every day of your life? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.